0: We are in Surah Al-Ankabut, it's surah number 29. And we are at the very beginning. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rahim Alif lam Nasu and Yutraku and Yokulu Amena Wahumla Yufta noon. Walapatana Ladina mean Pabli him, Falialaman, no law, Ladina Sodaku, Walayalaman and Kadibin. This surah is Surah to Ankabut, translated as the spider. The background to this surah is that Muslims were now very desperate to find a solution to their persecution in Mecca and uh, they had waited so long, their sabr was a sabr to be proud of their patience was very formidable but they needed some comfort from the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now a time came where they felt they needed to inform the Prophet about how they felt internally, not out of complaint, just as a matter of fact. So they were not complaining they were just stating the state of their mind. That This is how we feel at the moment, which is also necessary, uh, that without making a shikwa or a complaint against Allah, you say what's on your mind, and you lay down the facts that is in front of you. So here we see that uh, uh, their understanding of life was very real, it was not... A fantasy understanding that Islam, if it was to survive, definitely needed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's support and his guidance at every step of the way. At this time there were barely a hundred Muslims. You're talking about the latter part of the Prophet's life in Mecca. This is around the 12th year after Nabuwa where they were getting very testy and edgy but there were only a hundred. They weren't in the hundreds or in the thousands. Number of people you would know by name were Muslim, and uh, this surah is the last surah that was revealed in Mecca. After this surah, it was Surah Al-Baqarah, which, as you know, was revealed in Medina. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now explains to the Sahaba through these ayat and these words that when you say Allah is your Lord, then Allah has the prerogative to remain your Lord. You must not assume Lordship because you have claimed that He is your Lord. You must let him be who he is and that is his Lord. He is your Lord. So this comes in the order of recitation on the back of Surah Al Qasas, the previous surah, the story of Musa Firaun and Haman Muharun and the Prophet himself, that we listen to the story of Musa. How Allah subhanahu ta'ala delivered Musa from the Fir'aun, that surah should have already informed you as a prelude that Allah wants to save you. Because the purpose of the Qur'an is to not only inform the reader, but also to lead the reader, meaning to guide the reader. So it's not just khabar, it's also hidayah, And then through the Hidayah there is Hukum, the command in that order. So now in the Khabar, the story of Musa and Fir'aun, there is a guidance for you. What is the guidance? That just as Allah saved the Banu Israel and Musa from Fir'aun, Allah is more than capable of saving you from this group known as the Quraysh. And in fact, you should read that story as a prelude to your story. Yeah. But having said that, <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, does not say what I have just said. In those words, he brings the Sahaba back to reality. And the niya- reality, unfortunately, is very frightening. So, Now, this is an ayah of the Qur'an, which is comprised of three words that are broken, uh, and uh, they, when they are put together, they still don't mean anything to us. So a man's speech and writing is with words, uh, paragraphs, words, sentences, all of that. And then the words are constructed from letters, and if you put the letters together they mean something if you don't put them together they don't mean anything as i have mentioned before so alif by itself doesn't mean anything to anyone and um and me also unless you want to write in symbols in a language such as mathematics and chemistry then you might use letters for symbols and equations and all of that good stuff yeah? But the Qur'an is not a book of math or science. <laughs> it's a book of reading. Iqra. Right. So here we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that sometimes even when you put letters together, it may not form a word that you understand. But it will still be recitation. It will still be the Qur'an. So the Qur'an now has a dual purpose. One is to speak to you in such a way that you understand, and one is to speak to you in such a way that you will not understand until you go to another world. Right? So sometimes you will not understand what the Qur'an is saying. So the idea that we must understand everything in the Qur'an in this world, that is false. Why? Because we still read and recite even today in front of you, Alif, lam La, so, where does Surah An Kaboot start from? From Alif Lammi. But we don't know what it means, but it doesn't matter. Because this Quran is a book of recitation. It is not a book that is to be limited to this world and say it's a book of comprehension. Comprehension comes only through the explanation of the Divine to the Prophet and an explanation of the Prophet through to and through the Sahaba. The Qur'an says it is upon us to explain the words of the Qur'an. So the Prophet ﷺ might have explained what alif mim means to some people, but it hasn't reached us. So we can't claim that we know what it means, but we still recite it. So very at the very beginning of this surah, Allah taala is as if he's saying to the Sahaba, that sometimes when we recite surahs to you, you will get the understanding, but you may not understand the intent behind the words. So now, hindsight is 2020. 20. After the recitation was placed in the order of recitation, not in the order of revelation, we as Muslims who are now studying the history of the Qur'an, and the Prophet ﷺ Seerah, and the Sahaba Seerah, we can say that this is what he was leading to. But the Sahaba in real time were not able to understand this because they were engaged already in what? In living the trial. So after the trial, you may get the facts. During the trial, you may not necessarily get the facts. And this is just, um, just how life works, maybe. think. So Allah subhanahu wa says, أَحَسِبَ النَّاسُ أَنْ يُدْرَكُوا أَنْ يَخُولُوا آمَنَّا وَهُمْ That do people think and imagine that uh, they will be left you know, alone without being tested? Because they say آمَنَّا they believe and yet they will not be tested. Meaning, here the Qur'an is addressing the Sahaba, that when you say, Amanna, We believe in Allah, then do you think for a moment that you won't be tested. Meaning, you will be tested. Likewise, in this dunya, in the scheme of how society works, when you, mashallah, receive your degree and you become a scientist or you become a doctor or a lawyer, or you become a businessman and you graduate and you have all these accolades behind you. And do you think that in your workplace you will not be tested in your performance? That's not possible. So you have now a degree yeah, and then you go to work. So what do you expect from your boss? <laughs> okay, let's now place your uh, degree there on, on the wall and Let's give you money. No. He's going to test you. What is your degree worth in real life? You've acquired the knowledge now (coughs) you. So Allah is saying to the Sahaba, although he's using the word people, because they are the best of people, that when people say they believe and they've graduated from the school of Iman and Islam, do they think they'll not be tested in the school of life? They will be tested. That's just reality. Just as in your secular world and I say. If you say to somebody, I know how to cook, say, prove it to me, right? See, if you say you're a doctor, prove it to me. If you say you're an engineer, prove it to me. If you say you're a rocket scientist, prove it to me. So, whatever you say, you'll be tested about what you say and what you claim. So, when you make this universal claim, I believe in God, do you think that God won't test you? God will also say, prove it to me. And how does Allah want you to prove it? Live life the way I want you to. And what is life about? Trials and tribulations and tests and meanders and ups and downs and the vicissitudes and the lows and the highs, okay? the pros and cons and the sadness and the misery and the joy and the pride and the honor and all of that. Everything in life. you can be tested. You think you won't be tested? No, you will be tested. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reassuring the Sahaba that he has not deserted them. Right? People who are convinced they are doctors and lawyers and engineers and businessmen, if they fail one month, what do they do? They give up? The first week of your job, mashallah. Most of you remember the first week of your job did you give up? Oh, I've got to be a man, I'm going to show the world who I am. Likewise, Allah is saying to the Sahaba, in the first 10-12 years of your Islam, you're going to give up? Uh, which was the, the most trying times for the Sahaba, because there were very few of them in Makkah. In severe days, dark days. But anyway, Allah is saying that when you claim Allah is your Lord, then <coughs> your Lord will test you. And the reason He's testing you is not because He doesn't want you to pass. He wants you to pass so that He may reward you. So when you succeed in your profession 30 years later, <laughs> and then you can retire. But you're tested for 30 years. I, I would assume it's 30 years some people don't give up being tested until they're 70, 80 years old. They want to continue to work. So 50 years. So when you're I've now worked 40 years, 50 years in this profession now. Alhamdulillah, I can say I have retired. So likewise, in the world of Islam, when you have been tested for 30, 40, 50 years, then Allah will say, okay, it's time for you to retire in Jannah. You can't retire in this world. Because it doesn't matter what you do in, in, in this world, you are still required to do your faradayin. You still have to be a believer. You still have to do your salat every day, 24, 7, 5 times a day if you're a male. That's not going to go You're still required to fast every Ramadan. You're still required to give zakat every time. Once a year, you're still required to go for hajj once in your lifetime. That won't go away. Okay. So that is the truth about Muslims and their lives. Allah will test them. And on top of that, you're being tested with all the political, economic, social uh, crises, locally, domestically, nationally, internationally. (laughs) He's not going to give you up. Uh, Meaning that uh, this is saying, I believe in Allah. When you say you believe in Allah, Allah will want to show to the others in the world, that these people believe in me despite the odds. So it's not that, oh, Islam is going to paint a Mouse picture for Muslims as soon as they practice Islam, everything in the world will be glorious. Uh -uh. It has never worked that way. Do you think the Sahaba were now very successful after the Prophet they were happy with the Islam. Why? Because they proved to everybody after them that no matter how difficult political times may become, Islam will never change. So people assassinated Omar. Did Muslims change their deen? No. People assassinated Uthman. Did Muslims change their deen? No. People assassinated Ali. Did Muslims change their deen? People poisoned Imam Hassan, did Muslims change their deen? People assassinated Hussein, did Muslims change their deen? No. they were tested. Who were tested? Those who said we are Muslims, I mean <coughs> Abu Bakr was also poisoned, <laughs> right? So all four Imam Hassan Imam Hussein, they were also now uh, shohada in one way or another, and they were tested. So if you have now the pioneers, the founding fathers of this deen, they were all tested by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, and today we are whining, oh, it's so difficult. Welcome to Islam. Welcome to life as a believer. Don't give up your belief because of the (coughs) dunya. That is a categorical sin. So here Allah is using the Sahaba as a role model for others, and that is why we see the ayah saying a and nurse, as I mentioned, they are the best people. Yes. Do people believe and think that they will be spared and not tested when they say they believe? No. <coughs> So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now writing the first chapter of Muslim history as the chapter of the Sahaba. That yes, you may feel what you feel and you may even express your feeling to the Prophet sallallahu There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying that it's very difficult. What's wrong is to assume that God should help you because you are Muslim. That's what's wrong. You cannot hold God hostage to anything. We believe in Allah mutlaqan, absolutely independent of what He does for us in this world. What is the promise for Muslims? That they will be allowed to enter Jannah in the other world. Should we seek Allah's assistance? Yes. Should we mobilize so that we are not abused and we are not ridiculed? Yes. Yes that we are not discarded and disenfranchised. Yes, we should do all that. Should we now say to God, why don't you help us? No. Okay, that is wrong. Because Allah is Allah. He is your Lord. He is raising you. He is testing you. And that's the way Lordship works. Any more than you have a coach in a sport of today. A coach that is in your face, people appreciate and the coach that's laid back, he's oh, no good. Why is that? Why is that psyche so important? Why? Because the coach brings out the best in you. Well, you have a coach who is now coaching somebody in, 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 in a boxing uh, match or adventure. I'm not subscribing to the sport of boxing. Well, I'm not saying <coughs> boxing. <so laughs> Again, don't misquote me. I'm not saying, I'm just using this as an example. Then, if you are now uh, fallen and you're on the mat, what will the coach say to you? He said, no, it's okay. I feel sorry for you. I, I think this is a wrong profession for you. He say, get up. What would he say? Get up. You know what he says? So Allah is saying to the Sahaba, get yourselves up. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. This is life. Yes, it is hard, it is difficult, but that's life. If it's not hard or difficult this way, it's going to be hard or difficult the other way. So now, even those who don't believe in God the way you do, they're tested. Are they not? Even those who don't believe in Islam, they're tested. So you don't have a monopoly of being tested. It's nurse and nurse people. The best people are tested while they know that Allah is testing them. Others who don't believe in Allah, there's there's, there's life. That's the difference. So your lens is your Iman. Through your Iman, you see Allah is now the player. He is the actor. He is the one organizing these events in the world so that you bring out your Iman and your Islam the way Allah wants you Now, by hook or crook, before 9-11, uh, we were okay because most of us were concealing Iman and Islam. After 9-11, Allah says, you're not concealing Iman Islam. It's going to be right in front of you. The more you conceal, the more I will make it very apparent and visible that you are Muslim. Now we don't have anywhere in the world to hide. Mashallah. Even those who look like us are treated as Muslims. Mashallah. <laughs> they get the benefits of being being like Muslims, even Sikhs. <laughs> All jokes aside, but that's the reality. Uh, you look like a Muslim, you're going to be like a Muslim. So Allah subhanahu wa <clears> ta'ala <throat> to the Sahaba that it is difficult and there's no, uh, there's nothing wrong in saying it's difficult, but you must not assume, number one, that you have been forsaken. Don't assume for a moment that Allah has forsaken you. Number two, don't assume that he will not test you further. He will test you further, but it will become easier for you. It will become easier for you. You will become much more calm and much more relaxed when you know that this is the way it should be in life. As you see your daily profession, your daily earnings, and you're waking up, mashallah, on a daily basis, it doesn't matter, If if you're not eligible for retirement, you're going to have to wake up and move the snow in the morning and you're in Chicago. You're 64 years old, but you have another month or so before you are eligible for retirement. You'll still have to wake up in the morning, and if there's nobody there to help you move the snow in the morning, you're going to have to do it and go to work. And if you don't go to work, you'll not get that money and that check, and you will be without food and shelter. Isn't that the reality of the USA? Very much so. Yeah, you don't have a problem with that, but all of a sudden you have a problem with the idea oh, people look at us funny and differently. That's part of being Acquiesce. If you acquiesce, it's easier. Then you're calmer. You have no stress. Okay. Now what do you do? Then you do something to counter that stress. You do something to make life easier and facilitate uh, now PR uh, campaigns and other, as I said, forms of mobilizing uh, public opinion in your favor, which is also another test. Really, yeah? everything's a test in a Muslim's life. <laughs> we have definitely tested those who came before them, meaning referring to the Sahaba specifically. And then most certainly indeed Allah knew those who were truthful, and most certainly indeed He knew knew (laughs) and found out those who were untruthful and lying. So the test brings out the reality and the truth of a person in a person. If you are asked to do a task at work and you succeed, that means you are true. And if you don't do the task and you fail, that means you are not true. And that is how Islam works also. Meaning that this is not something that is unheard of in human history. This has come with Adam and all his children. that They were also testing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then did this so that people would know. Who are truthful, and then people know who are not truthful also. This is all a test for two reasons. One is for Allah, Allah already knows. Okay? The idea that Allah tests people in society is also that society knows. So society will know, okay, this one this way and this one is this way. This way, this way. So, so those who are dropouts and failures and losers, the people will know. And those who now stick to the task and they stick to their guns, they are the ones that people will remember and say, yes, this is person is my role model. Um الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السَّيِّيَاتِ يَسْبِقُونَ Another universal value Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that do those who now commit sin and do evil, do they believe that they can outsmart us and they can outstrip us, and they can precede us and overtake us? No. Very evil is what they have determined and decided for themselves in this world. So now people of two categories, those who do good work, as-salihat, and those who do bad works and evil works, as-sayyat, both are tested. No one is exempt from being tested either in their individual lives, their domestic lives, or their social lives, or whatever. But those who commit evil, they will assume falsely that uh, they don't need God, and they can control and dictate how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should work, and so on. So they will see providence as being a proof of God's providence. They will see success in the dunya has been a sign that God is now what, truthful to them. And they will see that as God's mercy and rahmah upon them. This is the meaning of evildoers. So, evildoers is not based on the work that they do ostensibly in society. Evildoers is based on a person's iman conviction and niyyah intention. So, uh, a person who gives a thousand dollars to somebody and then holds that someone hostage, is that a good deed or is that a bad deed? It's a bad deed. It's not a good deed. Why? Because you are not doing this for the sake of God, number one. And number two, you are holding that person now uh, hostage and you're making that person guilty that you gave him the thousand dollars in the first place. Right? So when you loan millions and millions and billions of dollars to people and countries and states and you hold them hostage, is that good or bad? Right? At the political level. You do the math. <laughs> so here Allah in? in. do they, they, they assume that they're going to overtake us? No. Evil is that what they have determined for themselves. This is not the way That Allah operates, is not the way that God operates, it's not the way that your Lord operates. When Allah gives you something, (laughs) He wants you to take that something, use it to the best of your ability and advantage, and then trust in Him to give you more, and then do good deeds so that you receive Jannah, not in this world, but in the world hereafter. That's what He wants from you. But if you don't, then will he stop giving you? No. In this world. In this world, Allah will continue to give you. So that those people who are evil, and they're evildoers, and they're wrong, and they're wrongdoers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will spare them in this world, not as a proof of his providence, but just so that they may have more time to think, reflect, and to make tawbah. Once they do that, Allah will forgive them. This is the meaning of the next ayah. In context with the next ayah, this is my explanation. That this is about meeting Allah on the Day of Judgment. Not meeting your your destiny here in this world. So an absolute success in this world, domination and everything else that goes along with it in this world, is not necessarily... (coughs) A proof that God is in favour of what you are doing, and that is what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is referring to with the Sahaba. And the Sahaba, they, they have really, they are displaced within their homes. If you are displaced outside of your home, that is definitely a tragedy. May Allah save us and protect us from that, Inshallah. But if you are displaced within your hometown mm-hmm. and nobody talks to you, you are ostracised and nobody wants to deal with you and people, they look down upon you and they hate you and they see you in your own hometown where you were born as foreigners and troublemakers and rebels and renegades that's a very different feeling that was the Sahaba in Makkah the Sahaba in Makkah were displaced where? not outside Makkah, in Makkah this was the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam seen as a renegade, a rebel Uh, evil person and someone who was inciting people to move away from their values and their culture. And he was seen as someone who was not wanted by his own people. And that is definitely a bigger test. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, it's not what happens to you in this world. It is what you want to happen to you when you meet Allah. Live for your destination, that is Jannah. مَنْ كَانَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ أَجَلَ اللَّهِ الْآتِ وَهُوَ السَّمِيعُ So whoever hopes to meet Allah, whoever desires the meeting of Allah and meeting with Allah, then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's time is near. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's time for meeting Him is very close, is very near. Meaning this world is very short, it is temporary. And the amount of time you will need to meet Allah will be in the eternity, and that is how Allah is reassuring the Sahaba that yes, times are difficult for you at the moment. In Mecca, you are feeling this way; you are persecuted, you are cornered, if not encircled by issues and problems and a lot of persecution. But one time will come that when you die, Allah will meet you and. He You will meet him. If you desire to meet him, then you will bear all the difficulties in order to meet him. Just as before you started your work in this dunya, you bore all the difficulties of studying for the degree. How many years? Twenty years? Twenty-five years? God knows how many years you studied. How many years you study to become a doctor or a lawyer? People say seven or t- ten, that's not true. What about preschool? Your parents made you go through preschool, and nowadays even pre-preschool. In fact, they start when the child's in the mother's womb. Right? They stick these phones in there and all these gadgets in there and make sure the child is a genius. In fact, now you have uh, people who are going to determine whether or not their child will be a genius. DNAs, uh, genetic engineering, right? <laughs> mean that it's not enough that we have to go to school okay, at the age of seven or whatever age, but then our parents force the issue. Uh, you're going to school at the age of one, two, three. All that is difficulty, okay? and growing pains. Huh? Growing pains are sometimes, you know, physical, where you actually hurt, and there's social, and there's parenting pains. Okay? So we want the child to be a a brilliant person by the age of seven. We want him to be a genius by the age of fifteen. And we want him to conquer the world by the age of twenty-five. That ain't happening. That's just a myth within a myth, within a myth. It doesn't happen, because you have... If you have a hundred people thinking like that, in the same neighborhood, then all hundred of those people will fight each other and destroy the world. Right. You don't understand how Allah has made the natural way in the cosmos for us to raise children and inter- What I'm saying is that there's difficulty before you graduate, and there's more difficulty after you graduate. But the difficulties we bear, and we want our children to bear, to receive an education, and then to acquire the degree, is also a difficulty that they bear. And we born, and we did it, I would say, with great pride. And studying for the bars, or studying for the boards, or studying for any exam where you want to graduate and receive this degree, you, know, you do your pride with honor. In fact, we will keep aside every social event. Society does not exist when my beta is studying for this and this and that doesn't matter which cousin's wedding it is. No, 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 no. that's far more important than this. <laughs> Why? Because we have attached a value to that which makes it easier for us to do all that, bear that difficulty. It's not easy studying eight hours, ten hours, twelve hours, fourteen hours a day. It's not easy. It's a task. You get tired. Your mind can only bear so much and your body can also bear so much and then you have to resort to caffeine and other people resort to other things god knows what but they make it happen so allah is saying that if you believe that the result of all of this difficulty is meeting allah then this is easy what's the fruit of this patience here whoever hopes to meet allah فَإِنَّ Allah اللَّهِ Allah's term is very close, is nigh, is it? coming. But if you don't want to meet him, uh, then it's a long road. See, so it's a mind over matter. It's very psychological, which becomes spiritual. The spiritual part is to believe that you're meeting Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that allows you to bear the burden and difficulty psychologically, and that allows you to bear the burden physically. Emotionally and socially also or Alim Indeed he is the one who is hearing all of your thoughts Your desires, your aspirations, your niyyah Your intentions and your du'as And Al-Alim the one who knows everything absolutely and eternally He knows where you came from, where you are And where you will end up being okay. So where will you end up? inna ma yujahidu li لِنَفْسِهِ now, the universal value, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is explaining to the Sahaba. So now you see, as the Sahaba are receiving this wahi from the Prophet وسلم, who receives from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they are being prepared for the world. Okay? The reality is that you have been prepared for the world. The task ahead of you are far greater than the task you are facing now. Okay? This is just in preparation for your khilafah. This is in preparation for how you're going to behave when you get power and authority. At the moment, the Quraysh has power and authority over you, but when you have power and authority over everybody, how will you behave? This is the preparation. This is the blueprint for how Muslims are to behave when they do have something to brag about. So Allah says that the fundamental rule of life is whoever struggles, struggles only for himself. That's the rule. So if I'm going to do this, it's for my benefit and for no one else's benefit. You are not going to do this because it is better for anyone except you. So if you say that I'm going to uh, study all of this for 25, 30 years, it's because it's going to benefit you. Likewise, if you're going to struggle in this world, the benefit is yours, no one else is going to benefit from it except you. So struggle means that you do things in such a way that it becomes a labor and laborious. Struggle is not when you find things very, very easy. No, you must seek ease and facilitate life. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the word is jahada. Jahada is from the word juhad, which means there is a struggle and you're striving and you're doing much more than what you think you should do, then for that the benefit is yours, no one else's. For in Allah indeed Allah, He is totally, totally independent of all the worlds which He has created. Allah doesn't need your mujahada. Allah doesn't need your struggle. Okay. Before you understand jihad, you must understand Mujahada. Same word, same root word, juhud. jihad Jihad nah, now is you struggle for the sake of Allah in the battlefield. And mujahada is when you struggle with yourself for yourself. I mean, everybody must have this element of being uh, able to struggle when the time demands it, when the occasion requires that you struggle. So our well, Muslims have made it, mashallah, very comfortable in today's community and society, at least here in the U.S., where people are encouraged to struggle for good education and for good degrees, it has become a social norm. And that is what has made it easy for Muslims to do what they're doing. And without that cultural, social uh, or a consolidation and a mutual uh, you know, facilitation, we would not have so many success stories in the Muslim immigrant community. Why? Because the whole society has helped develop this psyche. <coughs> and everybody in the Muslim community expects that people become something. So that mujahada has been facilitated. Likewise, during the time of the Prophet the Quran is now enforcing this upon the Sahaba that when you struggle as a community, one, a person who does not struggle will be seen as outside of your circle. Right? To now, somebody in a peer pressure, right? So now we have peer pressure that uh, gave us the thrust. To become successful in our professions. MashaAllah, keep it that way, give us more with barakah. At the same time, there must be a social struggle where Muslims expect Muslims to struggle with deen, for deen, for knowledge, and for the sake of knowledge. Then that becomes a part, another social psyche, which will be another success for the community. But if society looks down upon such struggles by saying, this is no good, then you have devalued something that is more valuable than what you have already achieved. Right? If there is no value left for hiddh, memorizing the Qur'an socially, right? Then who's going to become a hafiz? Oh, nobody's become a hafiz. If there's no social value for becoming an alim of d, de- where you struggle to learn what Islam is, the Qur'an, Hadith, for 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, then who's going to become an alim? Right? If there is no struggle for what you call human rights in the community, then who's going to fight for it? You understand? I mean, this, this, this is called your, your advertising, your, your marketing, and your campaigning, and that from the podium and from the minbar and from every uh, platform that we have in our community today, in the U.S. at least, where Muslims are trying to rally Muslims for this cause, this cause, and they're trying to market it as a social need. Why do people do that? Because without that social approval, uh, things will not get done. Some causes are noble, some causes are not so noble, and some causes are more noble than others. But everybody tries to rally everybody. Right. You have a position that people should vote for this candidate, not that candidate, and you go out onto the member and say, this is your Islamic duty. That's not very noble because it's very undemocratic. Democracy is not that you dictate upon others what they should do when they want to cast a vote. Democracy means that you vote the way you want to, based on your conviction. Now you can motivate people, but you can't make it binding that they must vote this way, right, as an American. (laughs) You don't do that. You do have a choice at the end of the day. But I'm not saying that 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 is right or wrong. What I'm saying is that in in this ayah, Allah is presenting the social order also, uh, that when all members of the community and society do one thing for the sake of Allah, it becomes bearable. Why is fasting prescribed as a social order in Ramadan and not as an individual act of piety? Because when you do it collectively together, it's easy. It is so easy, mashallah, right? But if there's a fast when you want to fast, we won't do it in winter when it's only 10 hours long. Nobody will do it. Why? It's too tough. Now summer is coming, mashallah, 17 hour fast, and after that you have the long tarabi, you know, and this guy who's a hafiz, he's going to make sure he, he, he advertises who he is, and he makes sure that he write, recites correctly and properly, and another three hours, and one hour of sleep, and suhoor again, and back to work. All this is possible because what? It's a social order. That mujahada in Ramadan is facilitated because Allah has prescribed this for all Muslims at the same time. So when you have strength in society, then the mujahada becomes easier because of peer pressure. <laughs> right? And the fact that Allah has blessed the ummah with this understanding of taqwa in Ramadan, uh, we are doing it for the sake of Allah. Likewise, this I is saying that as a social order, all of you, even though you are small in number, 100 of you, you must realize that this mujahada and sacrifice and striving and struggling should be part of everybody's DNA. And once you do that, it will benefit you individually and also socially as a society. Now, this mujahada carried over into Medina where people who became Muslim in Medina, the Ansar, and others, they knew what was expected. What was expected? Mujahidah. Sacrifice. Okay. Now, when you develop a community or society, or you don't develop a community society, and you say to people, Oh, Islam doesn't matter. This it doesn't matter. And knowledge of Allah and Rasul, it doesn't matter. Then, it doesn't matter. It becomes difficult for the individual who does want to do it. Right? So that's the social order. So now in Medina, as the Ansar came, it was easy for them to do what they did. What did the Ansar do? They helped all the Muslims who came and emigrated. They didn't see them as being displaced. So you're not displaced, you have a house. Where's a house? My house is your house. You have a livelihood was my livelihood. My livelihood is your livelihood. That became easier. So this is now the, the, the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as being a rab and being a, rubu, being a rububi of Allah. He's raising human beings, although the prototype, obviously, will also always be small. So in this small band of people, 100 people, they went and took this model to Medina, where they had already sacrificed enough for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Ansar said, okay, let us do our part also, and we are go with, also going to sacrifice for Allah and Rasul. And together they became a bigger ummah. That's not the social order. Once you do this, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah is totally independent of all the worlds He has created because He has already um, placed, ordained a law for every world He has created. So He hasn't created any world without cause and effect. So in this world, the physical world, you have cause and effect. And if you strive and you struggle, you will see results. If you don't strive and struggle, you'll not see results. And that is the order of this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through this ayah and through this surah facilitated the struggle of the Sahaba so that they would become role models for the Ansar. And together they would become role models for the future Ummah of Muhammad Wasallam. So That's how they became independent. Who The Sahaba. The Sahaba became independent because of struggle, and they knew that the value of struggle is for them, not for anyone else. People who uh, understand historically how nations have formed, they understand exactly what I'm saying. No nation is formed without struggle. You cannot have luxurious lifestyles and not wake up on Saturdays and Sundays and then expect the ummah to develop. The ummah develops only when you struggle for it. If you don't struggle for the ummah and you blame the ummah for not developing, you are blaming yourselves. That's the truth this is where we stand. So Allah is now reassuring the Sahaba that your struggles are not in vain and there is hope because uh, you are hoping to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as I said, this surah is a prelude to the Hijrah. It was the last surah revealed in Makkah. And with this, we make dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easy for us to live in this world and do what pleases him the most. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to meet him in such a state that he is pleased with us also, Inshallah. جزاكم الله خير سبحانكم